Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we're going to continue previewing what we think is going to be the start of the 2020 college football season. Obviously, still a lot that's up in the air, but it seems like every day there's breaking news coming from the college football landscape in terms of schedules from around the from around the country. All the different conferences are coming out with what their initial plans are for the start of the 2020 calendar. But look, obviously, there's a lot to be determined in the next few weeks. So uh, things are, con- are continuously changing at a very rapid pace. But today, the focus is going to be on the ACC conference. Now, the ACC did announce their schedule, and they are going to go uh, with their opening weekend, really the, the weekend of September 7th through 12th. Um, it will be 11 games played out over 13 weeks, 10-game uh, conference schedule. Each team will also get one non-conference game that they're able to get uh, on the books. So, look, that's the that's what we're looking at right now for the ACC. The other big note with the ACC is that Notre Dame will be a full-time member of the ACC uh, this season. Now, we talked about this possibility a few weeks ago when Pete Sampson came on the show, and for that reason, that's why we don't, we're don't we not talking about any of the Notre Dame players here in this ACC preview. Obviously, you can go back and check out uh, the episode that we did a couple of weeks ago. It was episode number 235 where we previewed all of the top prospects for Notre Dame on both sides of the football. So if you're looking for the Notre Dame guys, make sure you go back and check that out. But we were going to do the rest of the ACC here on today's show. Dane Brugger, Ben Fennell, and I, and Draft Buzz. We're going to break down all the top names. A couple of them have already declared for this draft in 2021, have already opted out of the 2020 season, namely Caleb Farley. So we're going to talk about that uh, with Dane and with Ben. Also, before we get to that conversation, we're going to talk about the Caleb Farley uh, situation with uh, Jeff Schwartz, who is going to join the show here for Mr. Relevant today. And obviously, Jeff has been on this show a couple of times already, former NFL offensive lineman, uh, previously at The Athletic, still on Sirius XM, ESPN Radio. You can check out his podcast as well. Uh, and now Jeff covers the Pac-12, and obviously huge news in the college football world coming out of the Pac-12 this past week, really in the last calendar week, where the players have threatened basically to sit out if a certain amount of demands have not been met. And a lot of the really good stuff there uh, that the players are asking for. And then we'll see uh, what the ramifications of this are long term. But we're going to hit on that with Jeff Schwartz at the very top of the show. It's time now for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, really excited to welcome back to the Journey of the Draft podcast, Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman. You can find him on SiriusXM Radio, ESPN Radio, uh, and of course, you need to subscribe to the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast. And on the most recent episode, Jeff, first of all, thank you once again for uh, for coming on the show. Um, you know, it's been uh, about a year since we've had you on, and it just like you know, I listened to the most recent Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast literally this morning, and you. Uh, you know, you talk, you spent a lot of time talking about. Um, the Pac-12, you know, the Pac-12 and the the players, and uh, you know, the what they did over the weekend. So, really, if you don't mind, just kind of take us through that, man, because we've gotten so much. It seems like every day there's new news with college football and like scheduling, and you know, the different precautions we're taking towards yeah. COVID-19. But this is obviously a, a little bit different. So, I'd love for you to just kind of jump into what the Pac-12 players did over the course of the last you know five six days. 
Yeah, so they put together a, um, a demand letter to the Pac-12 conference. Uh, it's a comprehensive demand letter. It took about a month if you read uh, kind of through um, the process of this happening. And they put um, a, uh, a letter together just to basically say, hey, this is our demands. If we don't meet these, we're going to boycott. And there's uh, four major parts to the demand. Uh, there's a health and safety protection. There's protect all sports. There's end to racial injustice in college sports and society, and there's economic freedom and equality. Um, and there's a lot of these that can be addressed right now by the conference and will, right? COVID-19 protections, right? Um, the Pac-12 should have this, and, and they go to camp August 17th. They're working on this right now. But it's fair to mention, Fran, that uh, a couple of Oregon players, player from Stanford, have said individual schools have done a good job with this. It's just they want some protections um, you know, on, on the back end of this. And, and look, the Pac-12 has said – you will not lose your scholarship if you sit out this season. And so they've already addressed some of these concerns. Now they want the players want the liability waived. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to let um, players just sue the conference for playing through a, a pandemic. I mean, it's, you know, it's worth shooting your shot. Um, and then I think the other thing that can happen right now is the end uh, racial injustice in college sports and society. They want to form a uh, permanent civil engagement task force made up of, um, of leaders, experts, and university administrators to address outstanding issues uh, such as racial justice and college sports. That's easy. The Pac-12 will, will gladly do that. And the Pac-12 has been in the forefront on a lot of, 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 um, of uh, racial justice issues. They're uh, the most inclusive conference in the country, I would imagine. They have the most uh, minority head coaches as well. They do a good job with this um, already. They want to form a black uh, college athlete summit. They'll do that. And then 2% of revenue. Uh, this is a good idea, by the way. Uh, 2% of revenue should be directed uh, by players to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. Look, the 2% might be high. I don't know if they're going to get that, but the Pac-12 will give them this. Um, as far as everything else, they're not getting any economic value, right? Name, image, and likeness is happening in a year um, uh, because, um, you know, they uh, – it's it's going to happen, right? That There are laws passed to make this happen. NCAA said it's going to happen. So a lot of these issues, in my opinion, will be resolved when players can start seeing some money, right? It's a money issue. Uh, they want to see some of the money that they have earned the conference and their institution. So uh, we'll see where this goes. I, I, I am um, very doubtful that a lot of players will sit out for this reason. I think right. players will sit out because of COVID and because of concerns around that. We've already seen one player from Washington State opt out. But I I am, um, I think it's going to be very rare that we see a lot of players, um, you know, just sit out for this reason. The Pac-12 will talk to them, uh, but I just I, – I don't see much of much budging on all these economic issues. It's only – in two weeks, how are they going to be able to do this in two weeks? <laughs> right. Yeah. To me, like, um, you know, I, 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 my follow-up to you was going to be how many do – you, do you think there's a chance that these guys do sit out ultimately? And so you answered that. I, to me, like, I just think it's cool that, you know, you're starting to see players realize that they have that voice and you use that voice. And I agree, like, they're not going to get everything. I think it was um, – who was the – there was a player out west, uh, Elijah Molden, who came out and said, look, like, I don't agree with everything here. And he's obviously yeah. a huge, huge voice, uh, a really smart kid, uh, one of the best players in the conference. Um, but so much of this stuff I, I thought was was really good. And hopefully uh, we'll see what is able to come from it. I, I think it's worth pointing out that the point you made is I like when young people speak up, right? Because it takes a lot of guts to do this. It takes a lot of guts to do this, guys. And they should be commended for coming together as a group and demanding things from, 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 you know, from the conference. It might not work. They might not get what they want. 
but we've seen some, you know, some progress. The students at Texas did this, students at Clemson, um, you know, we saw Missouri football five, six years ago. Yeah, right. Starting to boycott a game. So we're, we're seeing things happen, um, and athletes realize they, they do have a voice now. So let me ask you this now, like on, on a similar note, we saw one of the top prospects in the country last week uh, and Caleb Farley, who we're going to talk about a little bit later uh, in this show from Virginia Tech, um, basically opt out of the season, declare early for the 2021 NFL draft. We're recording this uh, on Tuesday uh, around midday earlier this morning, Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman uh, did the same. And going back to Farley, like him and his family, they released a video, uh, I think it was late Thursday, explaining the rationale for the announcement. Um, you know, he did some uh, media early this week, kind of, you know, explaining that like conditions of the workouts uh, at yeah. Virginia Tech just weren't up to what he would expect to, to be safe. What was your first reaction when you saw the Farley news last week? And, um, you know, do you think that we've got a lot more of these, I guess, to come down the road? I think it's possible. Look, I, I know in the in the in the Pac-12 conference, we'll stick to I mean, Panay Sewell, the, the Oregon left tackle, doesn't have to not doesn't have to play this year. He doesn't have to play. If he feels that his health is a concern and could any way damage his draft stock, he's not going to play. I don't know what he's going to do, but there are guys that don't need to play this year, that if they feel that this season would be a detriment, and it could just be as simple as, I don't want to get COVID, I also don't want to get hurt, right? I mean, like, just, hey, it's a, it's a good opportunity to use this time to sit out, right? To, like, it covers you for just missing an entire season. Hey, I, I'm sitting out for medical reasons, for COVID-related reasons. So there's ways to kind of, in my opinion, you know, Say you're sitting out, but so I think players will do that. Um, but Fran, man, you're around the Eagles, you know this. There's a different mindset with football players. It's hard just mentally to to remove yourself from the team because so much of our existence on the football team is a team. It really is a team, right? There's not a lot of individual positions. The quarterback can't function unless his offensive line blocks for him and his wide receivers get open. I mean, the the two positions, in my opinion, that are most individualistic are wide receivers and quarterbacks. That's why we have the most divas in those positions. Because, you know, like they, they're, they're on an island by themselves most of the time. It's their job to get open, corner's job to stop. But everyone else is a part of a, a something else. And something that, so it's, it's difficult for, for players to sit out. So I do think we'll see some sit out for COVID. Again, the, the boycotting. I don't know how we'll set up specifically for that, but I definitely think we're going to see players sit out. Yes. There's not, look, the, the NCAA has not done a good job of coming up with guidelines for all. There are yep. some guidelines, obviously. Um, so that is also, um, you know, an issue. There's just, there's not a coherent plan for the power five conferences right now to combat COVID. Yeah. To me, like I, you teed me up perfectly for what I was going to hit on next. Like, there, to me, like that was always the uphill battle for college football. Like, sure, like there are going to be uh, the instances where, you know, all the kids are going to come back to campus, you know, off of summer and they, and they have to deal with that. But also just the fact that there's no unifying body that's kind of yeah. like overlying and making sure like all of these schools are going to abide by the same. And that's why to me, like as soon as conferences said, we're going to go conference only, it was literally just to eliminate all the other outside factors. Like at least like, all right, Big yep. Ten can say, yep, this is just, it's all in our control. Pac-12, it's all in our control now. We're not dealing uh, with any other outside factors. Um, that That is one of the reasons why they did this, is they can control at least the 12 Pac-12 schools. But also, look, there's only six states for the Pac-12 to play, has to play in, yeah, right? right? And right now, you look at L.A. County and Maricopa, where, where Phoenix is, and, and that's where Arizona State is in Tempe. If those two counties get under control, the Pac-12 can play. Like, the, there's no widespread outbreak in Colorado or Utah right now. And there could be eventually, right? The Bay Area is kind of toned down right now. So, L.A. County, UCLA, USC, 
Arizona to me, Arizona state, not, not yep. Tucson and they can go play. And, and you don't have to wait on every power five state to have to be ready to play, to get right. a season. in. so that's why I think this made a lot of sense. So conference only schedule travels less, you control the atmosphere better. You just get some games in. Yeah. So I got to ask you now, like, how do you feel about the prospects of college games being played this fall? Do you think that they can pull this off when it's all said and done? They're going to start, in my opinion, finishing. I, yeah, I have no I idea, man. I mean, I, I have no idea. Um, you know, I, I don't know where we'll be in a couple of months as far as, you know, how we feel about social distancing. I don't know where we'll be with masks. I mean, look, we've failed, in my opinion, to do a good job as a country um, with handling this. Obviously, the, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. So I, I don't feel terribly confident that, um, you know, we'll be able to, to get through a season, but I hope we do. I'm rooting for it. Yep. I think that, you know, one of the key things that we're seeing with the conference schedules as they get released is that, uh, and they, the wording is in there is like, it's win percentage. It's not necessarily like who gets finishes the best record. It's win. Then that's almost like an acknowledgement that yeah. there's a good chance that ga- there are going to be games that get canceled. They, that they can't get played. So there might be one team that's, you know, six and one versus a team that's, uh, you know, seven and four. And it's like, well, we've got more wins, but it's like, well, we had the better winning percentage. I think that's something that could end up coming to fruition. Look, you're, the NFL is not getting, in my opinion, not every team's going to get 16 games in. Uh, not every college team's going to play 10 games. Um, not every you mentioned baseball team. It's, it's just not going to. It's not going to be that way. So you have to find a way to just get it in. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating, you know, for a number of reasons, just to watch how college football and certainly obviously the, the NFL uh, and the rest of sports kind of unfold. Let me get to a couple of questions here uh, on field. Now, um, you know, I mean, you know, just from knowing me over the last couple of years, like I love digging into the players that yeah. people feel very passionate about, like guys that might be under the radar or like underappreciated. So, you know, last week we did the Pac-12, this week we're doing the ACC, but I want to just ask you, because I know you watch players from all over the country. Is there, are there players that you feel are just like a little bit underappreciated or kind of flying under the radar at this point in the process when it comes to like their future in the NFL? Yeah. I'll tell you one of Oregon state Hamilcar Rashid mm, is a defensive yep. end of Oregon. State. you probably know who Hamilcar is. A yep. lot of people don't because he plays <laughs> for the Beavers. He's a monster defensive end. And I think that, you know, out West Kayvon Thibodeau kind of sucks up the energy as being a five-star recruit at Oregon. But Hamilcar Rashid is a freak show. Um, Oregon State, he's 240 pounds. Uh, last year, he ended up having him pull this up. He had 14 sacks last season. And a lot of times, guys, in half their games, teams are just running the ball to end the game, right? Because they weren't very good at times last season. Um, he, he's, he had 22 tackles for a loss <laughs> last season yeah. as a linebacker. Um, he's a possible first-round pick. I think that people would be surprised to know um, is out of Oregon State. Um, you know, a lot of people are very high on Stanford's quarterback, Davis Mills. Mm. Um, I, I haven't watched enough of him, but Yogi Roth, who I trust at the Pac-12, sure. covers, you know, he, he loves, loves Davis Mills. So those two guys come to mind um, right away as, as kind of sleepers, um, as, you know, as, as you know, guys in the Pac-12 conference that – you know, they'll be, they'll be household names. Trying to think of guys. It's funny without a spring ball, it's hard to kind of like right, recall, like who the, you know, who these guys are. There's one guy at USC. Oh, um, uh, Hafunga, the, the safety at USC. The safety, yeah, sure. He, he's really good. Um, so he'll be a guy <laughs> to watch, um, as well, uh, out of USC. Those guys, um, not under the radar. Hamilcar, I think is, yeah. I think NFL people know who he is, but the average fan has no idea. Oregon state defensive end, um, He's uh he's he's legit. And then one more um 
uh, I know your boy Ben uh, broke him down the other day. Uh, the Felton kid at UCLA, yep. uh, the running Demetrius back. Felton, yeah. He is so fast. They don't use him enough. I don't get it. Look, I'm not high on running backs, so I'm not going to say he's going to be a first-round draft pick, but Duke can play. Um, so he's a guy I think that that will have great numbers at UCLA. Yeah, uh, Rashid is a lot of fun to watch. Twitched up pass rusher. I mean, just yeah. so he's a, he's a lot of fun. Uh, so obviously very productive, very disruptive for the Beavers. Dude, last question I've got for you. Um, you know, last week on the show we were talking about uh, Penny Sewell. You mentioned him earlier in the show. Um, you know, I called him the best prospect in the country, regardless of position. Like. We don't know if he's going to get drafted that way because we know, you know, it all comes down to the quarterbacks and who's at the top of the, of the draft. But am I crazy to say that Penny Sewell is the, is the top, the top uh, prospect in the country? I think he will end up being graded higher than Will Lawrence or Fields mm. or, or uh, Trey Lance, the greatest name of all prospects to ever be a quarterback. <laughs> I think he'll be graded higher than all those guys. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean he's going to go higher. Yep. It doesn't mean he's going to – but just the physical grade of a player – Panay Sewell is unbelievable. 19-year-old Outland Trophy winner is a true sophomore who missed half his freshman season. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that yes, he will have the highest grade. It doesn't mean he's going to go to the highest. But he, he'll, he'll possibly be the first non-quarterback taken, you know, if, if – I don't know who – everyone needs a left tackle typically for drafting the top five. Sure. Yeah, it, to me, like – such a well-rounded player. And again, you, you said him, the, the youth, I mean, he's going to, he's not going to be 21 until if he were to declare until what October of his uh, rookie season. I mean, yeah. he's going to be a 20 year old rookie uh, when he goes into training camp, if he declares for next year. Dude, Jeff, thanks so much once again for joining us here uh, on the journey to the draft podcast driven by AAA. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Hopefully. Take care. Thanks for having me, friend. Now it's time for draft buzz. All right, guys, let's just jump right in here because we are going to preview some really talented players in the ACC. There are a bunch of guys, like I know all the guys we're going to talk about today. There are a bunch of players that I could list off, like four or five names right now that I know we're not going to talk about that I really wish we could just because there's so much talent this year. It felt like last year was a little bit of a down year for the ACC. This year, just a ton of really talented players up and down uh, the depth chart. So, look, last week I told you when we were going to talk about the top prospect, we might as well name it the Penny Sewell discussion. For this one, I think we got to name this the Trevor Lawrence discussion. Obviously, all three of us uh, you know, acknowledge that Trevor Lawrence, the top overall prospect in the ACC. Ben, I'm going to let you start this one off. Uh, Dane started us off last week with Penny Sewell. Uh, talk, take us through Trevor Lawrence, what you saw from him on film, and uh, you know, why you feel he's the best prospect uh, in, this, in this conference. Well, we're not going to spend too much time breaking any news here with Trevor Lawrence, who looks like he was built in a quarterback lab in a Petri dish. Prototypical size, strength, athleticism, frame at just, you know, just a shade over 6'5", 220, can make all the throws and definitely in more of a pro-style scheme. And I think it's more interesting uh, that that scheme really isn't that quarterback friendly. It's not, you know, entirely dependent on the run game. It's not, you know, a high volume of play action like maybe Jalen Hurts had at Oklahoma or Tua had at Alabama. Uh, I think there's a lot more pressure on the quarterback position in that offense at Clemson. But he can make all the tight windows throws. He's a strong arm. He's got a confident arm as well. So you can't just have that strong arm. you got to be willing to pull the trigger, which you see from Trevor Lawrence time and time again. He's tough. 
the pocket movements, the athleticism in and out of the pocket. He's a tough kid. He's a leader. He's fiery. He's done everything right, you know, on the field outside of maybe that one loss in his college career coming against LSU in the national championship game. But you have to remember, he won the national championship as a true freshman, knocking off Alabama pretty handily in that game. So uh, he's done a lot right. I saw him twice this past year, and I thought that North Carolina game, Fran, was a very interesting kind of – you know, all-encompassing picture of how the early season went for Clemson last year. Because if you remember, he struggled out the gates in 2019. People felt he was pressing just a little bit with all the Heisman buzz, the national championship defense. And I thought he was just putting a little bit too much pressure on himself, you know, to really make those big plays down the field. In that North Carolina game, they really struggled and had to, you know, dog that one out pretty late. So I like seeing the adversity in him as well and not just being easy cupcake games every week in and, uh, in and out in the ACC, but he's done a lot of good stuff. And you could put on the Ohio State tape last year, Alabama two years ago, done a lot of really good things. So he's a really interesting player. And the one thing to remember, he's a true junior. This is going to be his third year on the field. The two major trends of Dabo Sweeney over the last five, six, seven years They really don't play the transfer game that everybody else in college football plays. And the other thing, he seems to do a great job in getting his players to stay for their senior years. And they did it a couple years ago with that uh, really impressive defensive line with Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. And he gets a lot of guys to stay for those extra fourth and fifth years. So I'm not entirely confident that it's all set in stone. He's going to come out after his third year. And I think there's just a little bit more case study behind the scenes at Clemson to get players to stay late into their college careers. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, you're talking about a player who, uh, I mean, he's 25 and one as a, as a starter in college. He went 52 and two as a starter at the high school level. It knows nothing really but winning and just seeing how he's going to come back this year off that adversity. We saw him fight through a little bit of adversity in the first half last year where, you know, maybe he was, you know, pressing a little bit uh, as you talked about. Is there a guy, Dan, I'll kind of come to you with this. Is there a guy from a, like a physical standpoint, obviously all prospects are a little bit different when you're making, especially a quarterback trying to make pro comparisons are very, very tough, but is there a guy that, you know, he kind of like reminds you of from a physical standpoint, uh, you know, just watching him play on film? Well, I think he's a he's a more athletic version of Carson Wentz. Um, you know, someone who a, a player you guys have watched obviously extensively um, at the NFL level, uh, and I, I think is it just the way he can incorporate his movements and then his arm. That's what really sets him apart. Using his athleticism and his arm talent together to use the entire field uh, to process things quickly, to control his ball speeds, to make things happen. And, you know, I think the words arm talent, that gets thrown – it's a very, uh, you know, popular term right now, uh, it feels sure. like. It's, I hear it a lot. And I, I think it's very broad. But when you see it, you know it. And Trevor Lawrence has outstanding arm talent. Uh, it's just his, – his release can be a little bit long at times. His feet aren't always in a perfect set position. But his arm is efficient. It's almost always on time. It doesn't call. It doesn't matter what it calls for the throw. It, he can make it happen. So Trevor Lawrence. I, I mean, he's. I would love to hear that pitch uh, from uh, from Davo <laughs> about why he should stay and pass up uh, a likely number one overall pick. Um, and because he just and you guys mentioned it, twenty five and one won the national title. I mean, this guy has done everything that you want to see at the at the college level. So, uh, you know, it's just this is an easy choice for uh, top talent in the conference. 
Yeah, you know, I think that'll be interesting. Ben, you brought up the point about, you know, the track record that Dabo has had in keeping his own players for that extra year. I kind of think that that'll come into play uh, as we start to see players, you know, more players opt out of the season at the college level. You know, you saw Caleb Farley, who we'll talk about today, talked about it earlier with Jeff. And we've seen uh, even news just this morning of Rashad Bateman, the talented receiver from Minnesota, who's going to opt out of the 2020 season. So uh, I would be surprised if we see a large number of players that decide to do that from Clemson, just knowing uh, that he's kind of got, he's got that, you know, he's got that command and that respect uh, of that locker room. One quick thing before we kind of put Trevor Lawrence to bed, guys, what are the negatives here? Because obviously he's not, he's not a perfect player. And I do kind of like the Carson Wentz comparison, Dane, because I think when you look to me, looking at uh, some of the negatives for Trevor Lawrence, there really, there are two that really stand out to me. First one, I think his lower body mechanics uh, certainly can get, be a little bit up and down. Uh, he'll lock off that, uh, that off leg, a little bit inconsistent in the lower half, you know, as he's delivering the football. Uh, and, you know, that's been something that Carson has gone up and down with, not just in college, but also in the NFL. And then the other big one, and this wasn't a Carson Wentz thing, but I think with, with Trevor Lawrence, there are not a lot of examples of him kind of getting late into the progression and making throws. And I think a lot of that has to do – just with the trust he's got in his arm talent, you know, his willingness to kind of stick a ball into a tight window, his faith in himself to be able to make those throws. So you don't really necessarily see too many where he's going, okay, one, two, three across the field and getting it, you know, to late in the read. That's so those are really the only two things that I thought were, were real issues with Trevor Lawrence. Everything else I thought you were at least saying like, okay, check the box if they weren't, you know, huge, huge strengths of his game. I don't know if you guys saw anything else there from a negative standpoint. Well, I think just watching his uh, his season last year, his season last year was so weird. You know, he had it was very uneven. Uh, he had these roller coaster moments where he peaked, uh, but then the values were kind of low. And even you look at it last year, the two best teams that he played the final two games of the year, Ohio State, LSU. He completed only fifty one point four percent of his passes in those games. Uh, and in the Ohio State game, it was really his legs that made the difference. Um, he did not make a lot of impressive throws against Ohio State, even though they ended up winning that game. And then the LSU game, uh, you know, he he played well, but not, uh, you know, exceptional or not, you know, so the two best teams that we've seen him play in recent memory were not the best performances. And so I think just uh, you see a, a player who is still young, you know, he, he some of the accuracy issues, the, play, the ball placement issues, they're still there. Just it's more consistency for him. For him. I think he's really um, been helped by T Higgins, Justin Ross, these guys that are, you know, the size, the range, uh, the length that they have. And we've saw, we saw T Higgins when studying his tape, make some really impressive catches because he had the reach behind him, him, his body to make the throw or along the sideline balls that you know, could have been more accurate. Uh, but, you know, because of his tall trees at the receiver position, uh, they were able to bail him out. So just from a consistency standpoint, I think it's going to be really important for, uh, for Lawrence to get better this season. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. You know, hopefully we can see a pretty large sample size from this year, obviously a lot. Uh, that still needs to be determined uh, on that front. All right, guys, let's get to the next category here. And we're, we're going to talk about our top senior on offense in the ACC. Dan, I'll let you kick this one off. Well, I, you know, Travis Etienne, I think, kind of made it easy uh, for us when he surprised everybody and decided to go back to school uh, for a senior year. And, you know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a surprise. He's already uh, – he's got more rushing yards than any other player uh, in school history. Uh, he already has more rushing touchdowns than anybody in ACC history. So 
Um, you know, the, the everything's there uh, on tape for what he is. And he's been so productive over his career. Uh, you talk about a guy who, uh, you know, at, yards per carry average is something that is really interesting for running backs. Um, if you're over five, that's pretty good. If you're over six, that's pretty impressive. Uh, if you look at Travis Etienne, he's been over seven for his career. Uh, and that was actually last year was 7.8. It's actually declined from his sophomore year because it was 8.1. And it's not like he only carried the ball 50, 100 times a game. He was over two or a, a season. He was over 200 carries uh, both seasons. He's just, he's very skilled at creating those chunk plays because that start, stop, suddenness, his speed. He's able to make those cuts at full speed. Doesn't need to gear down. Really, really impressive. Um, you know, just, biggest thing I need to see from ETN this year, which could be the difference between him being a top 32 pick and maybe being drafted somewhere in the second round is just the situational versatility. Can I, if I'm a coach, can I trust him on the field in any situation? Um, You know, he, we know he, what he can do. He can handle simple screens. Um, You know, he will give effort in pass protection, but can I trust him in any situation? That's really my biggest concern, biggest question with ETN uh, as he enters the senior year. Those lanes between the tackles will not be as easy in 2020. Clemson returns only 17 career starts on the offensive line, almost all from left tackle Jackson Carmen. That's 128th out of 130 in college football. Mm-hmm. So Trevor Lawrence and ETN, while they're experienced, they're going to have some young guys in front of him, not to mention young guys on the outside having to step up. We obviously know T. Higgins off to the NFL. Uh, the young guy uh, who's the young player that just uh, sat out for the season with the injury. Justin Ross. Justin Ross is going to be out. Yeah, so there's going to be some talented young players around them, but young and inexperienced at that. So going to be a really interesting season with Trevor Lawrence and ETN, and they have a really interesting running back next to them as well, Lynn J. Dixon, that might be a little bit more of an NFL pedigree body to run between the tackles. But ETN's body of works, the 49 touchdowns over the last two years, 1,600 yards and back-to-back seasons without the heavy workload, only two games over 17 carries in his career. So while he has the production, he doesn't have a lot of mileage on those legs. And you look back at his high school career, nearly 9,000 total yards out there at Jennings High, 115 touchdowns. It's a really fun player anytime he's been on the field in his career. So just really want to see how he caps off his senior year and what else can he show for NFL scouts. Yeah, to to just kind of cap off the the conversation on on ETN, to me, like, Dane, I I agree with you. I I want to see more from him in pass protection. You know, I thought that he showed flashes, and and he's willing. He's just got to hold up a little bit better on contact. I think his technique certainly needs to get better. Um, You know, I posted a couple clips on social media uh, the other night, and I thought, you know, Jeff Schwartz made a good point about, you know, just him stopping his feet. That is a consistent issue with him. Um, You know, he'll he'll duck his head at times as well. So I think that he's just got to get better in pass protection. Uh, not a, I think his ceiling is a little bit higher than what we've seen already in the passing game as a pass catcher. I think he can be used in some different ways. But ultimately, I think it goes back to the conversation we had a few weeks ago with Chuba Hubbard, guys, where you know he's not a make-you-miss guy in the hole. He's not a guy that I think has great wiggle and shake. Like He certainly can make that first man miss at times, and he's not a power guy either. So making that first man miss, pass protection, just some things I'd like to see shaken up and are, are, you know, kind of improved here uh, for 2020. A lot of the same questions I had about Ronald Jones coming out of USC, and you know, some, you know, I think they're similar body types. I think when you look at their uh, their plus minuses, a lot of similarities there. Obviously, Ronald Jones 
uh, they're different people, right? So, I mean, that's the, the, you know, I'm not saying that Travis Etienne is Ronald Jones, but uh, I just, just something to keep an eye on uh, with Travis Etienne. For me, um, I'm really, guys, the, the guy that I'm really, really impressed with, and I got a chance to watch him recently, Boston College left guard Zion Johnson. Now, this is a kid who transferred in from Davidson, all right, so came up from the FCS level uh, up to Boston College. They were a run-heavy offense over the last few years with Steve Adazio. He plugs right, right in, basically, became a, a full-time starter early on in the season for BC. And this is a guy that, to me, you look at his athleticism, you look at his build, just the way that he moves. He's a little bit raw in pass protection right now. But the way that he can get up to the second level, the way that he's able to mirror pass rushers on the inside, really, really reminiscent of Shaq Mason coming out of Georgia Tech. And not only that, Shaq Mason, obviously, he played in that triple option offense down there at Georgia Tech. When Zion Johnson was at Davidson, they ran a triple option offense. So that kind of explains some of the raw stuff you see with him in pass pro. I think the ceiling is very, very high. New offensive staff there this year, obviously, uh, with uh, Steve Adagio being fired uh, this offseason. But I think when you look at Zion Johnson, 6'3", 310, really, really impressive kid. You know, he'll get after it in the run game. Uh, he runs his feet on contact consistently. I'm going to talk about one of his teammates here coming up as well. But Zion Johnson, to me, has the makings of a guy that could go in the top 60, top 75 of a draft and be a longtime starter uh, in the NFL on the inside. Um, I'm, yeah, glad well, you, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him, uh, Fred, because he's the only senior guard that I've watched so far that I like more is Trey Smith out of Tennessee. Uh, the Johnson, he was my number two ranked senior at the position. Um, I saw I, some of my concerns. I had him more as like a, a fourth round guy, but I, I love uh, I love that you brought him up because he's definitely a player we'll be talking about more in the next few months. And while they don't have A.J. Dillon in 2020, they have another 240-pound back in David Bailey that ran for nearly 900 yards last year and had to fill in for A.J. Dillon in a couple games and looked like he can uh, do more than uh, carry the workload for a big back like that. So interesting offensive line. Yeah, Ben Petrula is a very experienced right tackle there as a senior who is a freshman All-American at center. And I know you're going to talk about the center in a couple segments here, Fran. Another experienced old line there at Boston College. Yeah, and also we'll just jump right into that. The most intriguing underclassmen on offense. And these are draft-eligible kids on the offensive side of the ball in the ACC. I'm going to go with his teammate, the guy that lines up to his right, and that's Alec Lindstrom uh, from Boston College. And this year he's at center, younger brother of Chris Lindstrom, who was a first-round pick of the Falcons last year in 2019. Uh, but, look, Alec Lindstrom – checks a lot of boxes when you're talking about the center position because you know, not only is this kid really, really athletic, but he's technically sound. I love the independent hand usage and pass protection. He gets after people in the run game. He's always running his feet. 6'3", 295, a little bit on the lighter side, but we've seen plenty of centers come in with that frame. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Rodney Hudson when Hudson was coming out of Florida State. That was a name I wrote down while watching him. He's not a powerful people mover, but plenty of stalemates in the run game, which is just fine, and just very smart player, very technically sound, extremely active pre-snap with setting protections. It seemed like he was in charge of doing that with BC. I might have to do a little bit of digging there to uh, make sure that that was the case, but very active with his hands, very aware versus stunts and blitzes, very light, comfortable feet, never looked out of place from an athletic standpoint. I look, I, I really liked Alec Lindstrom. Like if we're talking about who are the top centers that are draft eligible in college football this year, he's right at the top of the list for me. Like right. He's got to be competing there with Creed Humphrey uh, from Oklahoma, who we talked about a couple couple weeks ago. I, I really, really liked Alec Lindstrom and what I saw from him on film. 
Yeah, Fran, I feel like it's a pretty deep year at center. I like the kid out in Stanford, yeah. Drew Dahlman. Yeah. You have obviously uh, James Empey at BYU and Drake Jackson and Michael Safel at Cal. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good year at center there. And the track record over the past three, four years at the NFL has kind of said we're willing to take these kids in the mid to late area of the first round if they're worth it. So a lot of elite players in 2020 in college football. And I'll, say, I I'll think, tell you right now, I like I like him more than I liked his brother. And his brother went, you know, 13th overall. You can argue whether or not he should have gone 13th overall. I like him more than Chris Lindstrom, for sure. Yeah, to your point, Ben, I do, the Big Ten, I think, has uh, a couple uh, centers who are top 100 guys. Josh Myers from Ohio State and then uh, Manetta, Penn State. I think both those guys have a chance to be second, third-round players. And out here in the ACC, the one that probably warranted the conversation on offense would be Jimmy Morrissey over at Pitt, who's a really nice senior offensive yeah. lineman. Yeah, the same thing with uh, Woolabaugh at Duke. So, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, we, good point. we just rattled off, you know, 10 names at center who could all be drafted. So, I think to your larger point, it, it looks like a pretty deep year at the position. Ben, I know you want to hit on uh, the opposite of the big uglies up front. You want to talk about one of the more electric playmakers in all of college football this year. Yeah, absolutely. The ACC has been pretty consistent and pumping out stars out on the perimeter at the receiver position. And there's some prolific seasons last year. We know about T. Higgins and guys like that. Uh, in Sage Surratt at Wake Forest, but this little guy at Louisville, Tutu Atwell, Chartarius Tutu Atwell, has led the conference in yards and touchdowns last year with 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns. He just made an appearance on the freak list over the summer for running a 4-2-6-40, an electric, electric speed player, uh, small frame. He's good in the screen game, yards after catch, a lot of that horizontal action as well with jet sweeps and motion. They love the vertical actions, the double moves. Interesting thing is he was a dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school, down from Miami at Northwestern, 4,000 passing yards, 1,000 rushing yards. Louisville seems to have a trend of going down to Miami to get some speed like they did a couple years ago with Eli Rogers. Uh, from a similar area, but Tutu Atwell had six plays of 50-plus last year and averaged 10 yards after the catch on 69 catches last year. So you could just see the yards after catch opportunities that they give him in the offense, the shot plays over the top. I mean, we can list off these types of players in the NFL, whether it's a Hollywood Brown that came out two years ago, K.J. Hamler, this past draft. We know about track speed, Marquise Goodwin. But I really think he's similar to Deshaun Jackson in his play style, the way they get him the ball, and all the concerns. Because, you know, he struggles around contact. He's either a take the top off or get him in space type of guy. Limited route tree, limited as a blocker. But this type of player at 5'9", a shade under 170 pounds, has a place in the NFL if used properly. We've seen it not used properly on a number of occasions or maybe trying to ask these style of players to do a little bit too much. But this place, this type of player has a place. And we've seen it from lesser guys like a Taylor Gabriel or a Travis Benjamin. But there's a lot of these players with pure speed in the NFL. And Tutu Atwell seems like he's the next one in line. He's, I mean, just a a ridiculous talent with the ball in his hands. One of the more dynamic players, certainly, uh, that I've studied on either side of the ball from a pure athletic standpoint. Dane, I know you've done that well as well. Yeah, I have. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating, this wide receiver class. Um, You know, it's it's such a a interesting group. Um, And some of these guys we haven't touched on yet because we haven't gotten to the Big Ten or the SEC. Uh, but it, it's just a loaded group. And where is a guy that's five nine, maybe a buck sixty five? Where is he going to stack up? Uh, and it goes to the overall point of how these receivers are just all different. They offer something different. 
Rashawn Bateman and Tutu Atwell, I don't know how it's tough to rank those two guys because you're talking about two totally different skill sets. How they win is different, uh, different from each other. So it's really going to make for an interesting wide receiver discussion uh, over the next uh, six, seven months. Dana, and Fran, really quick, I just want to say who else is in this conversation, in my opinion, in 2020. And this all goes into my pure, undersized, speed demon category. So that's Memphis's DeMonte Coxie. That's Anthony Schwartz down there at Auburn. Elijah Moore at Ole Miss. Jalen Waddell at Alabama, the returning over-the-top you know, speed freak. So these are all guys with slight frames, undersized by NFL standards but wake up in the morning with elite, elite vertical speed. And with a little creativity and stretching these guys horizontal as well, this is really the trend of the NFL. We've seen those guys, the Deshaun's over the top, the Tyreek Hills, you know, making defenses guard every blade of grass. There's a place for these types of players, and I know offensive coordinators are just dying to get their hands on one of them. Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore, yep. I was just going to say that. Exactly right. We'll talk about him. Uh, next week. Uh, Dane, I know you wanted to hit on uh, Brevin Jordan, the tight end from Miami. Yeah, I, I think that when we talk about tight end, what I've, the little I've seen people talk about tight end, they talk about the big three um, with Pitts over at Florida and Firemuth at Penn State. I think it's the big two with those two guys. And I think Brevin Jordan is trying to, uh, he needs to prove why he belongs in that mix. I think Pitts and Firemuth are both first round uh, type of players. Jordan is more of a top 75 type of player, type of prospect who is fighting to be in the top two tier. Uh, he's more of that, you know, that oversized receiver than your more traditional tight end. Uh, really good receiver. He can create his own space. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he can create those little pockets of separation and then he can create with the ball in his hands. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to like about him. It's just, I want to see him, you know, part of this is the offense at Miami, the carousel of quarterbacks they've had. I want to see better red zone production. Uh, he's really struggled to, you know, when when the field's uh, wide open, he has a chance to create his own separation and get open and make things happen. When the field is condensed in the red zone, that's where you see him struggle a little bit in terms of setting up his route and, uh, you know, those tight, tight windows, being a guy that can finish. So I want to see him get better there. Blocking, I wouldn't call it a strength to his game. Yeah. He, he's, not a, he's not deficient in that area either. But so I think he's a good player. Um, I, I think he reminds me a little bit of like Gerald Everett, who uh, you know was a top fifty pick a couple of years ago, and hasn't necessarily lived up to that. But I think he's in that similar conversation as a player. Uh, Dane, I want to keep this going, and we'll go to over the defensive side of the football. We'll come to you first. Our top senior on defense. We had a, we each came up with three different names for this category. So three really talented players. We're going to talk about here. Uh, I'll let you kick things off. I went with Carlos Basham, who um, a player who was surprised he didn't declare early. Uh, and, you know, we talked about it with ETN. Um, this is a player I thought put himself in the top 50 discussion uh, with his production last year. It, uh, he was like second behind only uh, Gregory Rousseau of Miami in tackles for loss. He had 18 sacks. He had 11. This guy is just relentless uh, off the edge. Um, you know, he's got plenty of stuff going for him as a pass rush prospect. He understands how to widen pass rush lanes. Uh, he can create his own path to the pocket. He has light feet. Uh, he's got closing burst. Uh, but I was just, I was really impressed with his motor. 
Uh, he plays with his hair on fire. Sometimes it works against him a little bit uh, in terms of maybe some wasted movements or, you know, he'll choose to uh, be more violent than have a, a set plan. But uh, give me a guy with that aggressiveness. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, of Boogie, Boogie Basham. And uh, this I, I this uh, edge class this year, really, really impressed, uh, especially with the guys from the ACC. Uh, mm. Basham, is, he's right there near the top. I don't think he's a lock first rounder. I think he's, you know, like I said, top 50, top 60 uh, is a guy who uh, is trying to prove that he belongs in that first round discussion. I, when I watched Boogie Basham, like I, I didn't see a guy that was like super toolsy and he's not right. like a pure technician, but man, like he's really strong. He's got power to collapse the pocket, plays with nonstop effort. Like I wish there was just like a little bit more like viciousness, a little bit more violence to him because I was ready to like throw the Zadarius Smith comp and like, uh, you know, just the way that Zadarius is able to win off the edge. Ben and I talked about this uh, offline as I was finishing up watching Boogie. Like I wanted to say like, yeah, like he could be that kind of a player at the very, at the very least, I think you're getting like an Alex Okafor who has turned into a nice starter in the NFL. And again, not a guy that he's not making pro Bowl after pro Bowl, but has turned into a nice, confident, competent starter, uh, you know, wherever he's been, whether it's been in Arizona or New Orleans. And I feel like ba- uh, Basham could at least be that. And I think he's got the ability uh, to be more. You know, he made the freak list uh, this past year with, you know, with what he does in the weight room. I mentioned the strength. I mentioned the power. Uh, the production has been there. I liked Boogie Basham. I thought that he was a really high floor player. Ben, I know you studied him as well. Yeah, Boogie Basham, really interesting player. You know, he had the 11 stacks, but he also had 60 total pressures, was sixth in the country. So this is a guy that was impacting the passer, I think, more than the stat sheet was showing in the sack total. He showed up on the freak list over the summer, but this is a guy that really looked the part, reminded me a lot, and I wrote down a lot of similar things that, that I wrote for Rashawn Gary. I think a linear explosive guy, a guy that has a really well-built frame, a thick lower half, a guy that plays fast and explosive, especially when he sees it. He could be sudden in short areas, not particularly twitchy, not particularly loose in the hips, can't really turn the corner. So that's why I think, uh, you know, I see that explosive, but the uh, disclaimer is he's a little stiff and thick in the lower half. And that's really what Rashawn Gary was, who, you know, ran four six five at 265, 270 pounds, which is an impressive thing. But, you know, I just want to see him be a little bit looser. You know, I see also see like an Emmanuel Ogba coming out of yep. Oklahoma State or a Charles Omenahu out of Texas, who's carved out a nice interior role for the Houston Texans. So Carlos Boogie Basham, a really well-built player. But I just want to see really where they envision playing him at the next level if he's loose enough to play out on the edge. And I know you wanted to hit on uh, Marvin Wilson as well for this. Yeah, Marvin Wilson, man, impressive player since being that number one defensive tackle out of Episcopal in 2017. Actually, high school teammates with Walker Little somehow pumped out two five-star players in the same class and both potentially first-round picks in the NFL draft this year. Pretty impressive. But this guy's 6'5", 320. He's tall. He's long. He's big. He's strong. He's wide. He's got this enormous bubble butt and thick legs. He's a powerful player. He looks a lot like the elite version of Albert Hainsworth, you know, uh, years back in the NFL, who kind of had an up-and-down career. But for a while, he was really tough to stop, a dominant player in the run in the past. I wrote down Vernon Butler, Chris Jenkins, Kenny Clark. This is a guy that's a two-gapper but has one-gap quickness and isn't always given that green light to just get up the field. He has to often hold his gap there, play fight at the line of scrimmage, find the ball, and make a play. But when they do let him get up the field, 
man, he's an explosive player. He's a powerful player. And in combination, he likes to use his hands, which you'd love to see of a player with that size, that strength. He's a guy that ragdolled Makai Becton last year at 360, 370 pounds. This is a naturally strong, powerful player. And I'm really interested, interested to see this new program at Florida State with Mike Norvell. And I know the past couple of years in Marvin Wilson's career has not gone as planned since being that high recruit. But he's a guy that I think is still ascending in his game and probably has his best football ahead of him. I just want, like, to me, like, I watched and I, I a lot, to me, very reminiscent of Derek Brown a year ago, and obviously a very, very good player, right? And Derek Brown goes in the top 10, and uh, we know the kind of player he was. I just kind of were, like, was, and I saw the same use of hands as well. I thought he was a really crafty pass rusher for a guy that big. I just worried about, like, the athletic upside as an interior rusher, if he quite had that, like, if he had that next gear, because I think you look at who were the top defensive tackles, we would call them in the NFL, like, who were the top guys? Most of those guys have that second gear, that secondary burst to be able to close and, and make those plays and get that production. I just didn't know if Wilson had that, but I liked like everything else about his game. It was and really, I think really that's all player. fair. He leaves a little bit to be desired on the field. I have a couple plays where he shows some surge, but just kind of dies out and gets yeah. to the quarterback. And you put on any Boston College game that he's played in the last three years, and this guy gets moved off the spot quite often on those double teams at Boston College likes to implore in that pro style, uh, you know, running game. And he's a guy that is a little bit too naturally gifted and has some poor technique in areas of his game, but he has a lot of things that you can't teach. So uh, I think he's an interesting player. He's still kind of a, a mold and a developmental player here, but he has a lot to like. And yeah, I think that- you guys, you guys did a nice job pointing out the strengths and weaknesses because I, 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 I thought he was going down that Derek Brown path as, as well for him. Um, and I, in my way too early 2021 mock draft, I put him pretty high, top 15. Uh, but then when I really studied him more and watched more games, I became less excited about him because he does, he leaves some plays out there. He's not the most productive guy. Um, it, there are times where, uh, you know, he finds himself off balance at the point of attack. And there's certain things that I need to see from him if he's going to be a first round player. I, I think I, right, going into the season, I think he's more of a second round guy. And it's just more of can he show me, you know, what, what I think he's capable of, just can he get there? Uh, hopefully we see him on the field this year. No question. Uh, to me, like a really, really fun player to watch. I just worry, like, you know, again, we talk about, like, high floor versus high ceiling. Like, I think Wilson's got the high floor. How high is that ceiling in terms of, you know, upper echelon defensive lineman uh, in the NFL? I think that's the question. Um, you know, I went actually with his teammate, uh, a guy that, Ben, just shy of a year ago, you first introduced us to Hamson Nazardine, the safety that some people saw as a potential linebacker in the next level from Florida State. Uh, you were previewing that, that matchup against Boise State back in week one. And you talked about Nazardine, and you kind of nailed it, man. Like, in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of people made that comparison to, like, an Isaiah Simmons. Nazardine is kind of built the same way. I mean, he's 6'4", 215 pounds. This guy is an explosive athlete. He eats up ground so quickly, especially coming downhill. But he'll play center field. He'll man up on backs. He'll man up on tight ends. He executed that role very, very well. Um, To me, like, my big question with him, he's a little bit more reactive than proactive when he's keying run pass like and he's got the explosive traits to kind of make up for that if he's a little slow to key something he can make up for it huge huge hitter downhill can make some big plays on the back end he's one of those guys that kind of stuffs the stat sheet he shows up in a number of different areas in the box score 
I just want to see him just like come along a little bit further uh, in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, the mental side of the game. To me, like a guy that I wrote down, and this is a little bit off the wall in terms of the comparison, was Lawrence Timmons. And the reason why I wrote down Lawrence Timmons is not because Hamza Nazardine, I feel like he's a linebacker. I do feel like he's a safety. But I remember when Lawrence Timmons came out uh, of Florida State, this is what, this is like 2006, 2007, and talking with scouts at that time, and they would say, friend, like this guy, Lawrence Timmons, is a, a freak show linebacker who they've got playing as a gunner on punt, on, uh, punt coverage because he's like that kind of a freak show athlete. Hamster Nazardine is just an explosive freak show who eats up ground, just needs to come along a little bit better in the uh, other areas of the game, but a really fun player to watch. Yeah, he's a guy that plays all over the field, Fran. He'll play free safety. He'll be a half-field safety, dime linebacker. He'll match him in coverage. He'll have to guard tight ends. He'll have to guard receivers. Uh, so he has to do a lot of different roles out there in that defense, and he shows it off by loading up that stat sheet. And I wrote down my third line here is extremely similar player to Clemson safety linebacker Isaiah Simmons. And yep. if we want to go poor man, I don't know, what is that? Me and he's Jeremy Chin, you know, who was also a similar player to Isaiah Simmons last year right. coming out of Southern Illinois. And, you know, I did his opener last year against Boise State, was, you know, very much looking forward to watching him play. Had a forced fumble earlier in the game. His shoe exploded. He's tweaked his knee in the That's leg right. and he came yeah. back and had the PBU in the red zone. Has really long arms, long limbs. When he sees it, man, he goes. And that's whether that's horizontal across the field chasing stuff or attacking downhill, the run game, or maybe a quarterback getting outside the pocket as he did to Trevor Lawrence where he got ejected for, you know, knocking his head off a couple years ago. So he's a guy that plays with a physical aggression. And when he sees it, he goes. But I completely understand your kind of hesitation with those read and reacts and just maybe being a tick late to diagnose. And that's okay. And that happens with young players in college. Yep. And he's now in his senior year. He's going to be in a new scheme this year as Mike Norvell brings over his defensive coordinator, I think Adam Fuller from Memphis. So interesting to see him in another scheme and how he adapts. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, to me, like, I, that's why I just had Nazardine. I feel like his ceiling really, really high, uh, you know, moving forward into the NFL. Guys, let's go to the underclassmen here on defense. A lot of big names that we've got to hit on. And, Dane, I know you want to hit on a couple of big ones that we haven't yet talked about, one of, the, one of which some people feel could be the best prospect, uh, you know, outside of Trevor Lawrence in the entire conference. Yeah, I couldn't make up my mind who to talk about, so I'm talking about both of them. Uh, in terms of the most intriguing, Gregory Rousseau from Miami and Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, who uh, I guess technically Farley is not a member of the ACC anymore. He's, uh, he became really the first high-profile prospect to – announced that he's going to skip this season and prepare for the draft. Um, but with Rousseau, he's just – he's a super long athlete. Uh, he looks – he's straight out of central casting, that stretched out frame. Uh, he can set a hard edge in the run game. Uh, he uses his long legs where he can drop and cover. Um, and I, I think, to be honest with you, I wasn't blown away by his tape. I, uh, I, I liked his tape. I didn't love it like I thought I would. Um, I think his projection is tough because it's based more off upside and potential than maybe necessarily what we've seen so far. I mean, he's just, he's not yet the sum of his parts. Um, he'll flash dominance, uh, you know, obviously that, and that's evidenced by 15 and a half sacks last year. Um, but there are some reservations there. So I still think he's the best pass rusher in the country because of what he can be and what he's growing. He's only a redshirt sophomore. So let's not forget he last year was just a redshirt freshman. He's still growing. So I do have some reservations, 
but I am excited about what he could be down the road because with that length, with the movement skills, the power, uh, just what he can do to get to the to get to the quarterback, I, I think this is going to be a really big season for him in terms of progressing, developing, uh, and living up to that top ten hype. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play defensive end until his senior year of high school. So you're talking about a guy who's only been playing uh, that position for a couple of years. Uh, I agree with you. Like, loose, fluid athlete, explosive burst, you know, can turn the corner. Like, all the athletic traits you're looking for. This guy was a high school wide receiver. So, uh, you know, he brings that athletic element certainly to the position. But, I, you know, you and I were texting as I was finishing up. You had just watched him that morning. And I agree. Like, I just – I wasn't, like, completely blown away. I didn't see a guy who was consistently powerful. Um, I didn't see a, uh, certainly a, any kind of development in terms of his pass rush plan. Um, you know, if he didn't win early, he didn't really win. Uh, so, I think when, to me, like – and a lot of misproduction too, which is also scary. Like, a lot of missed tackles just due to uh, poor technique or poor play strength. He would lunge and, you know, guys could get out of his grasp. Like, you know, to me, like, the production could be much, much higher – but a lot of people would then say, like, all right, well, he was so productive and yet so unrefined. Like, what happens when he puts it all together? And, and I, I think that's fair. Um, but, look, this is a guy that's got a lot of tools. The upside very, very high. I just don't know that he's quite there yet. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, definitely. And I did want to mention Farley as well, um, who, like I said, has already declared he will be in the 2021 class. Uh, and this is a player who is a high school quarterback. Uh, wasn't a big-time recruit. They, he goes to Blacksburg. They play him a little receiver. They play him a little bit at corner. And he's just really, really uh, developed on the defensive side of the ball. He, he's really balanced. He's, he's a big athlete, 6'3". Uh, he stays coordinated in his movements, his, his stance, his transition. Uh, he understands uh, how to stay composed and stay square. He, he has a very clean sink and drive motion from off coverage. Uh, and you see, you know, the, the offensive background when he has a chance to make an interception, he makes the most of it and creates. So, uh, and as a tackler, he gets the, he gets his guy on the ground. Um, yep. now it, it, there's some things he needs to work on in terms of, you know, making contact too early, avoiding those pass interference penalties. He's, he's a very aggressive player, sometimes to a fault, but this is a guy with speed size and just a, for a guy who's not been playing the position very long. Just a, it seems to be a very natural fit for him. So Farley is a big time prospect who, unfortunately, we won't see this fall, but yep. we'll definitely be talking about him in the lead up to the draft. Dude, like I'm gonna be honest, like watching him, I was really, really impressed. Like I, I got a lot of um, C.J. Henderson vibes in terms of like the skill set. Yeah. Like I mean, tall, long, it's really just a loose, fluid athlete. Uh, recovery speed, uh, you know, off the charts. Like. You know, his ability to finish on the ball, former wide receiver. Um, he can get a little bit better in the smaller aspects of the game. Like, I think he can get a little bit better in terms of his timing to turn and find the ball late down the field. Certainly has to get better as a tackler, despite the fact that he's 200-plus pounds. I think that he's got uh, certainly some growth to do there. But really, really impressive kid. That I just I just find it hard to believe uh, that he's not going to go, you know, top 15, uh, top 20. Right. Like, um, that's going to be really, really interesting to see ultimately uh, where he ends up going in this draft. Let me just ask you this really quick, uh, kind of off the cuff here. Um, you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, we saw Rashad Bateman, the news with Bateman. We saw Farley last week. Do you feel like this is just like kind of the tip of the iceberg? Do you think that there's going to be a lot more of these kind of announcements to come with guys uh, deciding to opt out? I mean, obviously so much up in the air in terms of the college season, but before even football kicks off, do you think we'll start to see some more big names uh, decide to kind of take their hat out of the ring? Yeah, I think we will. And I think it's inevitable. Um, I don't think it's something where um, NFL teams are necessarily going to 
ding these guys and say, you know, you don't love the game and go, you know, we're not going to go down that road. I think this is uh, an understandable uh, situation, you know, for Farley, you know, he lost his mom, uh, passed away uh, not too long ago. And, you know, he, he doesn't want to lose another family member. He doesn't want to go down that road. And that's certainly understandable. It's understandable for anybody making that decision. Um, So it's, it's tough and it's going to be a very individual thing. And so not, you know, some guys are going to not want to leave their teammates. They're going to want to compete for a national title. We'll have one last go at it. And that might be great for someone, but might not be what uh, other people are thinking about. So yeah, this, this is not, this is, I don't, I think it is a tip of the iceberg, but I'm not sure how big the iceberg is. I'm not sure how many guys when it's all said and done. Uh, now, if we have not to go to, too down too far down this road but if we have a you know the season's canceled or say it's postponed to the spring then we're going to see um you know just a lot of these guys decide that hey well instead of playing next spring i'm just going to prepare for the draft that's going to be what really opens the floodgates but right now i'm sure we'll see a few more uh big names that i you know maybe we've touched on or maybe we haven't but yeah i think it's just uh it's just the start of it unfortunately yeah, you know, the Caleb Fairley opt-out is kind of interesting. He's probably the best prospect to date uh, outside of maybe Micah Parsons, who just announced a couple days ago. But he's really got an NFL pedigree to play press man. But I see what Dane sees as well. Some of those grabby DPIs occasionally. I see a lot of that in his off-man coverage, which they play a variety of schemes at Virginia Tech. Really challenges the defensive backs to be polished in a, a variety of zone, press man, off-man, things like that. But he looks pretty polished impressed man and I see a lot of that similarity that Fran mentioned with CJ Henderson and the speed the pressed man the ability to run vertically find the ball the athleticism the size as well he's 6'2 every bit of 6'2 he looks really long at that line of scrimmage so really interesting player and uh, the opt-outs are probably going to keep coming for the next week or two yeah to me like Farley is just such a, a fascinating prospect there's a bunch of those guys uh underclassmen defensive players in this conference and one guy I just feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about is the defensive tackle from Pitt Jalen Twyman uh, this guy's 6'2 290 wears number 97 the same number uh Aaron Donald uh, played with I don't want to say that he's Aaron Donald obviously but to me one of the things that stood out about Jalen Twyman and this kind of grew on me the more I watch because you could see he's got that uh that quick twitch that ability to get out of his stance and penetrate get on the other side of the line of scrimmage he can do that he times the snap really well what I liked was the the pass rush plan and the ability to kind of read and diagnose blocking schemes both in the run game and the pass game this guy was really really impressive understanding hey look I'm lined up as a two-eye technique. This guard has to try and work really hard to get inside to make sure I don't have a beeline to the quarterback. I know that he's going to sell hard inside. I've got the quickness to now put my foot in the ground and work back outside and put this guard in a tough spot. Just like little scenarios like that where not only is he really athletic, but you can tell that he puts in a lot of work and just understanding how the offense is trying to attack him. He's got violent hands. He's got the ability to string together multiple pass rush moves. Saw that a number of times on some of his big plays. Was really productive this past year. 12 TFLs led the team, 10 and a half sacks uh, as a sophomore. Jalen Twyman, really, really intriguing. One of the better defensive tackles. We've talked about a few of them so far that I really like. You know, Twyman and Levi Onzerike. And, you know, we we talked about Marvin Wilson earlier and uh, Jay Tufele last week. Like, it's a really – it's an intriguing group. Not Maybe not guys that, to the, the you know, star power of, you know, going top 10, top 12 that we saw uh, this past year. But uh, Twyman, I think another guy in this list that is a really impressive player. 
Yeah, Fran, I think it's interesting because what separates Twyman from the other guys you mentioned, like Marvin Wilson and J2 Fele, is what you initially said, a quick twitch interior defensive lineman. I think that's really what he hangs his hat on, not only getting off the ball, but his ability to counter move, redirect. And the interesting thing at 6'2", 290, is he played about 20 to 25% of his snaps at defensive end. And a lot of those third down sub packages with Patrick Jones, another really good edge rusher out there at 6'5", 260, good run pass defender. They'll work in a lot of games, a lot of twists. And you could see the movements and the agility and the light feet at 290 pounds. I initially wrote down Cam Hayward, and then Cam Hayward's a little more 6'4", 6'5"-ish. I really see a Nick Fairley style of player and explosiveness and athlete at 6'2", 290, a really active player on the inside. I think, Fran, to your larger point about this defensive tackle class, it's it's really interesting because we don't have that Derrick Brown this year. We don't no. have, uh, you know, obviously Quinnen Williams wasn't really Quinnen Williams until the season and he kind of rose up. But Ed Oliver, you know, the, the guy that went into the season as that top 10 pick, that guy that was going to go somewhere top half of round one, we don't have that this year. And But we have a lot of intriguing guys, and Twyman is right there in that mix with, uh, you know, all the guys that you mentioned as intriguing. It's just where the draft grade is going to be interesting. Um, you know, does he – can he do enough to sneak into that first round? Is he going to be more your traditional t- day two prospect? So, yeah, this defensive tackle class as a whole is really interesting. And, you know, talking to people at Pitt, they expect Twyman to declare after this year. So, uh, th- this could be – he's a redshirt junior, I believe, but this, this is probably going to be his final year uh, with Pitt. And Fran and Dane, I think Pitt might be looking at maybe four or five top 100 defenders in this class. I had mentioned Patrick Jones, really good edge rusher, and they have a couple defensive backs in Paris Ford, who's more of a whole player, strong safety. And then the interesting story with DeMar Hamlin, who accepted his Shrine Game invite last year and then got the medical hardship waiver and went back to school. One of the very rare accepted college all-star games and then goes back to school. So a veteran defense, a lot of intriguing talent. And I can really see all four of those players, Hamlin, Ford, Patrick Jones, and then Twyman, easily all going in the top 100 of the next year's draft. Well, Ben, I know for your pick for an intriguing underclassman, you did want to talk about Powers Ford. I know there's another safety uh, you want to hit on from this conference as well. Yeah, it's a deep safety group, and Paris Ford's interesting, but I threw on some tape of Andre Sisco over at Syracuse earlier this week, and man, that was some of the most fun tape I had watching in months. This guy is an absolute playmaker in every sense of the word. He's playing that safety post position for Syracuse. Occasionally, will come down and defend the slot as well. He's six foot, just a shade over 200 pounds from IMG Academy, ACC Freshman of the Year in 2018. 12 interceptions, 14 PBUs the last two seasons. Those 12 picks lead the country uh, by a pretty wide margin there. Showed up on the freak list this past summer, running 4-3-3, 17 reps of 225, so the speed, the strength. PFF just put out a big board and had him number 31 overall. This guy makes a lot of plays and coverage, but on the other side of it, He takes a lot of risk. He's a bit of a freelancer. Sometimes he takes the cheese a little bit too much and on the uh, play action fakes or maybe tries to uh, leave his zone or responsibility in hopes of making a great play. And he makes some big plays, 
wants to bait quarterbacks a lot, but occasionally has some lapses in focus and technique, allowed three touchdowns in that Louisville game. But this guy shows up ready to make plays on defense in this sub package college and NFL world. I don't think this guy comes off the field and your base, your nickel, your dime. And I don't know if he's quite a Buddha Baker or a Tyrant Matthew, but he's somewhere in that level of playmaking. And I just want to see him clean up the tackling and the discipline as he heads into his uh, third year, his junior year at Syracuse. I mean, guys, think about the names that we've already talked about just on defense, right? I mean, you're t- you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, those guys are going to get the headlines. But, you know, we're talking Marvin Wilson, Carlos Boogie Basham, Greg Russo, Caleb Farley, Jalen Twyman, Hamza Nazardine. Like, you know, you mentioned Cisco, how productive he's been. There's a, a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball in this ACC conference, and uh, that's not even taking into account the, the guys for Notre Dame uh, that obviously we talked about a few weeks ago uh, on one of our first conference preview episodes. And to me, just looking, all right, like who are some of the guys we haven't even talked about yet? To me, if I should transition to the next category, the, to me the biggest sleeper potentially in this conference on either side of the ball is North Carolina linebacker Chaz Surratt. And this is a guy that I studied very early this offseason, 6'3", 230 pounds, really unique story And that, you know, he was a Gatorade State Player of the Year coming out of high school, was a big-time recruit, um, you know, three-time All-State basketball player as well, just a great high school athlete, goes to North Carolina, starting quarterback his freshman year, leads the team in passing yards, threw eight touchdowns, five more rushing, and then he has a, that tough year in 2018 where he missed most of the year with suspension and then an injury, only played in one game. Then he makes the transition to linebacker last year, and at 6'3", 230, has 115 tackles, 15 tackles behind the line, a pick, two pass breakups, and six and a half sacks. This guy's a great athlete. I mean, not like a good athlete. He's a great athlete, loose fluid, explosive, really easy in reverse, great range to make plays outside the numbers. I loved his tenacity as a blitzer, really good getting after the quarterback, and you see the upside in coverage as well. I saw a potential three-down player at the linebacker position, but you know, to me, like a guy that he reminded me of right off the bat was just in terms of his body type and like the way that he moved was Drew Tranquil at Notre Dame, and he was a former safety who made that move down to linebacker, became, I think, a third or fourth-round pick of the LA Chargers, and I know he's going to be a key role player for them moving forward. I think Surratt could be a little bit of a rich man's Drew Tranquil when it's all said and done. I really think that this kid uh, has a lot of ability. I'm really, really excited about his future. Uh, Dane, I know that you studied Chad Surratt as well. Yeah, and I, I think he's uh, a day two player. I think he's a guy that it's easy to get excited about because of the athleticism, which you uh, which you mentioned. And this this senior class, uh, the linebackers as a whole, it's a lot of interesting names. Uh, Ohio State's got a few with Baron Browning and Pete Werner, uh, Jabril Cox over at LSU. We'll talk about him uh, coming up here. Uh, but Surratt's right there. I mean, he, he's right there in that conversation to be the first senior linebacker off the board uh and part of the the appeal is that you probably don't have to take them off the field um and because of that athleticism which you touched on so yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of Surratt uh I think he's a top 100 guy and a player who's uh getting better I don't think he's hit a ceiling yet you know like he being a former quarterback being a guy that made the transition uh you know he's still getting better which we saw in his junior tape Ben, I know one guy that you're really high on, the potential to be one of the best players in this conference is the Clemson corner uh, defensive back, D.K. Kendrick. Uh, Tell us more about the converted wide receiver. Yeah, Darian Kendrick, and I love that all three of our sleepers in this category are converted offensive players. So Surratt coming from the quarterback position. Darian Kendrick at Clemson had to switch 
sides of the ball last spring because of some injuries in the defensive back room. But this was a five-star, number one player in South Carolina, wide receiver prospect. He was the Gatorade player of the year in South Carolina. He played wide receiver as a sophomore, then moved over to quarterback junior and season, uh, junior and senior season. U.S. Army All-American, all sorts of camps. You go watch him do one-on-ones against pretty much every top corner uh, in college football at some of those summer camp series. Moves positions, and then all of a sudden he has two picks, five PBUs, second team All-ACC, and he shows up on Phil Steele's list as a third team All-American. Not ACC, All-American. So he's a very raw player. He played a lot opposite of uh, A.J. Terrell last year. Had kind of a clunky game in that LSU game like a lot of Clemson defenders did. But he's still raw. He's learning the position. He's fast. He's long. He doesn't panic with the ball in his air, in the air. But on the Ohio State tape, he had a battle uh, Austin Mack and Chris Olave and was very competitive all game. He was really chippy. He you know, finds the ball down the field. He has some technique issues. His jams are mistimed. His footwork's a mess. It's late at times off the line of scrimmage, but he's such a natural athlete. He has such natural instincts, having been on the offensive side of the ball. He just shows up with a lot of natural gifts. And all the coaches off the field, whether it's Dabo or Brent Venables, talking about this kid in the summer and the offseason, they all just absolutely rave about him, his ability to change positions, be smart. And the one thing we always notice with these position changes excellent special teams players because it just lets them be natural athletes, lets them be punt gunners because they're good at releasing. I was just watching uh, UNC this morning and Chaz Surratt running down on punt coverage. Not to mention he had a run with T Higgins a couple times last year in that detached kind of linebacker role uh, for North Carolina. But Darian Kendrick, very raw, only one year at the cornerback position, but I'm really interested to see where he takes his game at the next level and, you know, another year just being more comfortable. He had to play, you know, LSU and Ohio State and some big-time teams last year. Sometimes looked good, sometimes didn't. The uh, LSU game really struggled in tackling on the perimeter. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a couple uh, exciting runs out on the perimeter towards his side. But just really interested to see, uh, you know, where he develops his game. And he's only 19 at this point. It's, yeah. I'm glad you, you you talked about him because I was really I was pleasantly surprised when I watched uh, Kendrick. I you know when I do my top five corners for the athletic, I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep him out. I just you know I think there's a lot of good corners around the country. When you talk about uh, you know we talk about Farley, he he's one of them. Uh, you know Sean Way, Patrick Sertain, uh, but Kendrick, I think he's right there. He's right there in the mix. Um, and you know Clemson producing another one. Uh, these really talented corners. Uh, it, it's just, he's a really good player with, uh, you know, you mentioned the transition that he made another guy who I, don't, I think he's yet to play his best football. So I think scouts are really excited, not only what he is now, but what he can be uh, this year and, and beyond. Uh, you, know, you know, there's so many good corners in the country, Fran. Sorry about that. No, you're good. You know, I thought I thought third team All American was a little rich from Phil Steele. There's so many good corners. I think it's a bit of an expectation for his development with another year at the cornerback position. And I think that's really what kind of opened my eyes. I don't always want to cite all these preseason All American lists, but the fact that he was that highly touted from someone that we respect, that was kind of a I don't want to say red flag, but an eye opener in my opinion. And I went right to his tape. Yeah, I asked uh, Tanner Muse the, this uh, February at the Combine. I said, like, who's the best guy going back that we're going to be talking about much higher next year? And he told me it's absolutely going to be DK because, um, you know, he got so much praise this year. He was second-team all-conference. 
but he was like, he had no idea what he was doing. Like he wasn't, he didn't know the defense as well as the rest of us. Like just wait until he's got a full off season of understanding the defense. He can become a leader in that secondary. He thinks he's going to be uh, a top flight corner in the NFL. And I thought that was a, uh, you know, just good praise there um, from Tanner Muse. And then one other interesting note too, uh, Ben, you mentioned Gatorade player of the year in South Carolina. He went to South Point high school down there in Rock Hill. And that's where, uh, that's Jadavion Clowney. That's uh, Stephon Gilmore. Um, they've had a number of other NFL players as well uh, come out of that area. So uh, obviously a big time program down there uh, at South Point High School. Um, uh, Dane, I know you wanted to stick in the ACC with a, another defensive back. Who was, uh, who was the guy that you wanted to hit on? Yeah, and I think there's a good chance that the top senior safety this year uh, is coming from the ACC. If it's not Nazardine, who we talked about from Florida State, yep. it might be Divine Diablo for Virginia Tech, who, aside from having just a, an awesome name, uh, this guy is he's well-built. He's 6'3", 225, uh, former receiver. who He played both ways in high school, and then he goes to Virginia Tech, played mostly on offense as a receiver, had a couple catches. Then they transitioned him full time to defense, and he's 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 a monster back there. He's kind of that. He looks like a linebacker, but he's playing safety. He can move around well. He's not afraid to hit you. Uh, so there's some parallels there with Nasr Dean. I was just really pleasantly surprised when I watched Diablo and I saw a guy that's a top 100 player uh, again, who I think will be one of the top senior safeties when it's all said and done. Uh, Divine Diablo without question, will always be known on this podcast as the Peter Kelly special. Our producer, Peter Kelly, was down there uh, you know, in uh, Blacksburg for Virginia Tech versus Wake Forest last November. And we came back and we said, you know, Virginia Tech didn't have you know, a lot of big prospects last year for the draft. We said, all right, PK, like who, who's a guy that stood out to you? And he said on this podcast, yeah, there was this safety, Devon Diablo, who was flying all over the field and making plays. So uh, this is a, a definitely a uh, Divine Diablo podcast <laughs> for sure, thanks to uh, – He is huge, by the way. He is enormous yeah. at 6'3", 225. I didn't know who to compare him to. There's only so many safety and defensive backs that have come out at that size. Obviously, you know, Jeremy Chin and Derwin James type of style. But I remember Aaron Rouse a couple of years ago or Jeremy Clark coming out. But this guy, he looks like a linebacker playing on the back end. I'm interested to see uh, where they're going to use him next year. And I think I want him a little closer to the line of scrimmage, maybe being a little bit more of a blitzer or run defender, beat up tight ends on the line of scrimmage. He's not a guy that's going to go mirror slot receivers or have that quick twitch out in the slot. So I think he's more of that strong safety and maybe the sub-package linebacker for that defense. So from an under or an oversized safety to an undersized pass rusher, Ben, I'm going to come right back to you here uh, with your most approved, someone who's got, uh, you know, maybe they're coming off injury or a scheme change or, you know, just something, an answer, a question they have to answer here moving forward. Who is the, uh, the player that you want to hit on here? All right. So we're going to talk about one of the more intriguing players in the entire country, and that's Chris Rumpf II, who's an edge rusher at the University of Duke. And why is he so interesting? He's 6'3", 225. This is the exact height and weight we just described of a safety a segment previous. <laughs> but the interesting thing with this kid is 13.5 TFLs last year, 6.5 sacks, had the highest win rate in the country, the highest pressure rate in the country. That's better than Chase Young or whoever else you want to throw out. Had 14 pressures on 31 reps against Miami. This kid is a loose, natural pass rusher. Variety of moves to walk him around, shoot A-gaps, match him up against guards, twist from inside out, all sorts of movements, lots of stand-up actions, darting movements. Now, the interesting thing is 
He only played about 400 snaps last year. That's less than 50% of defensive snaps. This guy was just a pure situational pass rusher. And the thing, the reason you probably haven't heard his name with all those win rates and those accolades is his number of snaps probably didn't qualify to beat Chase Young and some of those other full-time players. This guy through and through has to add weight get stronger and find a position on early downs in college football before we can have any sort of projection to the next level. He's lightning fast. He's got the first step, the burst, but unless you can hang on early downs, I really don't know what you are. And the, another interesting thing is his dad is an outside linebackers coach for the Houston Texans previously with university of Texas, Alabama, Clemson, very, very deep history of coaching elite players at that position. So he obviously has the pedigree at home with his dad, just a very unique player for size, height, weight, but he's producing when he's on the field. He just needs to stay on the field a little bit more. And that's why he's my uh, most approved because he's an interesting player, just has a lot of red flags and questions about his pedigree. Yeah, he's an interesting player just in terms of the usage, too. I mean, they did a good job of kind of, you know, standing him up, moving him around, doing some different things. Uh, you know, they've got an interesting defensive line there, period, because uh, the senior uh, there, Victor uh, Dimukije, I'm butchering the last names, I actually haven't um, looked up. He looks like he'll be a better pro, to be honest with you. He's yeah. on the field more. He's a more stout player. It's, again, going to – Back to that kind of Jabari Zaniga, Ja'Kai Polite discussion right. of the guy who's just all juice and pass rush versus the guy who can play inside, tough set in the edge against the run, a little yep. bit more of an every-down player. Sure. Uh, Dane, I know you also wanted to stay along the defensive line for your pick. Yeah, I'd stick with the pass rushers. Um, and you know, we've talked about a few really good ones from the ACC with Rousseau and Rumpf. Joshua Kando from Florida State, he might be the best of the group. Uh, that, that's how, how high I, I like this guy. Wow. Um, 6'6", 260, and he's, he's got some twitch to him. He's a loose, loose athlete, very nimble. Um, he's coming off – he missed all of last year, almost all of last year with a right ankle injury, so he's coming back from that. He, this was a big-time recruit coming out of Baltimore, went to IMG for his senior year, a, a really highly recruited kid goes to Florida State, uh, was more of a role player. And then last year was supposed to be his breakout year. Uh, and he played well. Uh, he watched throwing the Boise State tape, uh, the season opener, and he he played well. But then, of course, he was lost for the year. How he comes back, because I think the talent is there. He has first-round talent. How he comes back, how he develops, can he stay on the field, can he live up to that potential, all these question marks uh, are, are, are there with him. But just in terms of pure talent he's a physical specimen the athleticism that he brings at that size the length uh, I'm a big fan of Kane Doe I, I, I think if the draft were tomorrow I think he'd be drafted in the second or third round wow. uh, even though he hasn't really done it yet but I think he has a ceiling of a first round player I, I think the talent is all there he's a really good looking player Dane he looks the part he's long he's tall he's thick Man, just walking around pregame in shirts and a T-shirt, you just know that guy is somebody out there. And that Florida State team is interesting. They only had one player drafted last year. That was Cam Akers. I mean, Florida International had two players drafted. And this was the first year they didn't have a defender drafted since 1971. This was a huge missed year for Florida State. And I see a lot of guys getting drafted this coming May with Marvin Wilson, Asante Samuel Jr. Yep. Fran already talked about Hamza Nazarudin. I think Josh Kando has a lot of tools. Just needs to put it together. Even Corey Durden is a really nice interior trench player as well. So I could see maybe four or five guys 
getting drafted this uh, April, May, whenever the draft is, and really getting Florida State back on track with their new coach this year. Yeah, I, li- I like Asante Samuel Jr. So kind of similar to his dad, honestly, in terms of the way that he's able to read routes and, and jump throws. He is an intriguing player for sure. Um, guys, I'm gonna, I talked about uh, Chaz Surratt in the last segment, and to me, I, I had to go with his brother here in this one. Uh, Sage Surratt is a wide receiver at Wake Forest, who is also a redshirt junior, 6'3", 215 pounds. And this is a guy who lines up inside, he lines up outside. Really, really productive. Over 1,000 yards receiving, 11 touchdowns last year, 15.2 yards per catch. But he's not an explosive athlete. He's not a quick twitch athlete. He's not like a a guy that's going to really wow you in terms of, you know, his movement skills. But he's got automatic hands. He's a pretty savvy route runner. I think he, he thought he showed a really good understanding of how to attack leverage inside and outside. Uh, showed so, you know, the ability to kind of execute some subtle push-offs and you know, change up his stride length, to just kind of create little slivers of separation. And he used his frame really, really well through the route. I thought that was something that really stood out. He's used to dealing with contact uh, and making big plays through the catch point at 6'3", 215. This guy scored 2,500 points in his career as a basketball player. And that that stuff at high school shows up on the football field. I love this guy's ability uh, to make plays with the ball in the air. I kind of I wrote down two names, and I think he's kind of somewhere in between both these guys. Jordan Matthews and A.J. Brown, both guys were second-round picks. Both guys really have made most of their hay in the slot. And I do think Sage Surratt could play outside as well as an X because he's really good at getting off the jam, and I think he can create some separation for himself. But a lot of his best work was done inside. So to me, the biggest thing that he has to be able to prove, number one, he's coming off a shoulder surgery. So he missed uh, the back end of last year after the surgery. Is he going to still be able to you know, play in the physical game in that standpoint uh, you know, after that surgery? That's fine. But also, can you win on the outside? I think that's going to be one big question that a lot of people will have about Sage Sherratt moving forward in the NFL. That being said, I really liked him. I thought that he could definitely could be a, you know, a, a, uh, an impact <clears throat> receiver for an NFL roster, even if it's not as a, you know, quote unquote, number one guy, a guy that I think will be a starting level receiver in the NFL. I could have gone with a number of receivers for this category. I mean, like Tamari and Terry, uh, you know, from Florida state, I think with that new offense there with Mike Norvell, that his production is going to go even more higher than it was a year ago where he went over, you know, almost 1200 yards and nine touchdowns. So many receivers in this yeah, conference. Uh, Daz Newsome from North Carolina. We talked mm-hmm. about Tutu Atwell earlier. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really talented group. Uh, Brent, so we also decide. Uh, I want you to put a put a number. What do you think that Sage Surratt's going to run in the forty yard dash? Because to me, to me, that's one of the yeah. big questions with him. Is it, you know he's not going to be just the guy that separates at will. But what is that forty yard dash going to look like? So he needs to break four six. Obviously, like that would be like he yep. needs to break four six. I think a win for him would be the mid to high four fives, and I think that's a realistic number. If you say okay. Uh, you know, four, five, five, four, five, six, maybe four, five, seven. Like that to me is a, is a win for him. Um, if it is lower, obviously that's going to impact ultimately where he gets taken. Because the, the speed is not his game. That's not, uh, you know, but look, I mean, I would have said the same thing about Jordan Matthews. And what did Jordan, J-Matt ran like four, four, seven or something like that. It blew me away with how he ran in Indy. So, you know, maybe Sage will, will shock us a little bit there. See, the thing with Sage is I have written down deceptive speed. I don't think he relies on pure speed. He's not a burner, but he kind of uses it with some nuanced uh, ability and getting open. The interesting thing I'm worried about is Jamie Newman off to Georgia, right. who had a really good rapport last year. The young kid Sam Hartman's going to come in. You can watch his uh, kind of upbringing on the QB1 show on Netflix. Um, but Are Sage they pay- Riley- is, is QB1 like paying you, you think? 
Like they oh, should yeah. be. We're, we're yeah, endorsing how much, every how much week. you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got Spencer Rattler to talk pretty soon. Right. Uh, figure out what he did in high school. But Sage, like you mentioned, the pedigree player of the year in both basketball and football in North Carolina. And his brother, Chaz, obviously being sure. a quarterback to linebacker. I don't know what they're feeding these kids growing up, but they're doing something right. No question. All right, let's get to our newcomer on the scene. And there's a bunch of a bunch of them we could talk about here, uh, either a transfer or a replacement who's stepping in for a guy now in the NFL. Uh, Dane, I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, and there are two guys I wanted to hit on. Um, I, I think this Trevor Reed, uh, Juco transfer coming into Louisville, he's he's kind of perfect for, for all the – what you're looking for with this category because he's, he's a transfer and he's also stepping in for uh, talking about Becton uh, who Mackay Becton, who was a first round pick last year, of the jets uh, Louis also replaced both their tackles. And I think Trevor Reed is going to be one of those guys. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, he's tall here. He's long. He's athletic. He can move really well. Uh, eager to see what he, what he does now uh, at playing big time college football. And then the other guy I want to talk about over at Miami, De'Ara King, who, at Houston, he was he was a spark plug for that offense. Uh, he was he's electric with his legs. He could he could move around, but he also put it up through the air. Uh, just a really shifty athlete. He's elusive. He could dart around, find those second, third chance throws. Um, and, and he's tough. He's a strong willed passer, and so there's there's things to like about him. But he's he's tiny. I mean, he is when scouts measured him this this spring. He was 5'8", five, 5'8", eight, uh, five, eight and 3 eighths, I believe it was. So he's closer to 5'8", than 5'9". And, you know, you can count on one hand the number of uh, guys that are under 5'10", that are been able to play quarterback in the NFL. And it's just – it's really tough for those guys. And But more so than just the size, I don't think that he is accurate enough right now, or at least what we saw yeah. at Houston. He – so this isn't just like, oh, he's short. He has to go play another position. He was not accurate enough based off of his Houston tape to play quarterback in the NFL. Yep. He's inconsistent with his touch. Uh, he, he made it more difficult on his receivers to complete catches. If he wants to play quarterback in the NFL, if he wants a shot, uh, the size is going to be tough, but he can't control that. What he can't control or what you know, at least he can work on is being more accurate, being the, you know, the chemistry, uh, just being a little more in tune with his passes. And that, that's going to be really important for him. Uh, so, you know, I think people are going to harp on, oh, he's short, so people are just going to dismiss him. And, you know, that's just, you know, people are going to hinge on that. But as electric as he was as a quarterback, he just was not an accurate passer. And to me, that's the biggest concern with Kid. I feel like he is probably on the outside looking in in terms of playing quarterback at the next level for that reason. Because it's not 100%. like if he if he had the arm talent, like the, the velocity, because I don't think that the, the arm strength and velocity is quite there either. So you're talking about, the you know lower than you would want accuracy and the lower you'd want uh, arm strength. I mean, it's just not a it's not a good combination. I definitely see a much more of a Nick Marshall style player. This is a pretty short kid as well. He's probably going to come in at five eleven and change. And I just don't think he has the height and he doesn't have enough of an arm to hang in the pocket. Jim, Jim Nagy actually said from the Senior Bowl that it's it's more like five nine. Uh, oh, he's, really? he's, right. he's five eight. He yeah. he is five eight and three eighths. That that's yeah. what a scout said that he he measured him at five eight and three eighths. So he's yeah. closer to five eight than five nine. Yeah. That's that's a big and not to mention he's got you know both knees need medically cleared. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on with this player that it's it's not just it's not just the height. There's a lot of other yeah. things. Um, but the coaches speak highly of him. He's you know uh, the competitive drive is off the charts. All that. 
So there's, there's a lot to like about him, but I, I think that I agree. Right now, if the draft were tomorrow, he would be drafted as a receiver return man more than a quarterback. I think so too. Uh, ben, the, Miami has like 17 guys that they're bringing in here from in terms of the transfer pool. Um, well, let's touch uh, on all of them, right? Let's, let's hear it. Sit yeah, back I'll and relax. Well, it's funny you brought up De'Aaron King because that means he had to leapfrog former QB1 star Tate Martell, <laughs> who transferred from Ohio State down to Miami. Just thought I'd give QB1 a little plug. Uh, of course, yeah. never mention it. But let's stick on the defensive side of the ball. You already talked about Gregory Rousseau and what he provides, but they're bringing in two interesting transfers. Firstly, Jalen Phillips, former number one player in the country, out to UCLA ended up retiring from the game, citing injuries, came out of retirement in college, and now he's down back at Miami. Apparently he's a little bit of, uh, you know, has some things going on off the field and upstairs, but a very talented kid and obviously has the, uh, the pedigree being the number one player in the country. We'll see what he has left in his game. But the interesting one is Quincy Roche coming over from Temple. 68 total pressures last year, led the American Conference, 13 sacks, including a couple of huge games, four-sack game against South Florida. He had two games where he had 10-plus pressures. That's the two-lane game, East Carolina game. The year before, big work. He had two block kicks against Villanova. He had two sacks against Duke in their bowl game. This guy seems to always produce when he's on the field. Quick, violent hands, explosive out of his stance, a lot of setup moves for the tackle. And I just love college edge rushers that could win inside, outside, or through you. I think just having that three-way go is just a huge trait for your stock as a prospect and be productive at the college level. Now, the issue with him, he's only about 235. He's a little undersized, probably needs to add some weight, get a little stronger. Or if you're going to be 235, I need you to just be a little more active from the backside in pursuit, making more plays out to the numbers. Look a little bit more urgent and excited to make the plays away from you or maybe when the run action is going away from you. But as far as rushing the passer, Man, this guy is a pretty polished player and has produced a lot for Temple. Now on his way to Miami with Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau, and probably one of the more dominant defensive fronts in college football. Uh, so real quick, I, you guys know that I love asking uh, guys at, these, at the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl and the Combine, who are the toughest guys you faced this past year? A um, couple guys brought up Quincy Roche as like, this, is, this was the guy. Matt Pert from UConn uh, said, by far the best pass rusher I faced this year. Uh, the, uh, the kid from North Carolina, uh, whose name is uh, Charlie Heck, uh, Charlie told, Heck. Me this, yeah, told me the same thing. By Are we going Roche or Roche? It's Roche right. now? Uh, we're, we're, we're figuring it out. We're workshopping it. Um, right. But uh, to me, like, really, really interesting player. And against Power 5 teams, all right, so seven games in his career against Power 5 teams, 34 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, five sacks. So you're looking at, you know, five tackles a game, about a tackle for loss, and just under a sack a game uh, for Quincy Roche whenever uh, they took uh, on a, a Power 5 team. So, um, you know, if you're projecting up and keeping in mind that he's on that same def- defensive line as a, uh, a Greg Rousseau, and you mentioned J- Jalen Phillips, he's not going to be the target of offense's attention uh, mm-hmm. as often. That's a good point. Uh, you know, I think that the numbers could be very, very high this year for Quincy. And really quick, Fran, the interesting thing at being so undersized, they didn't do it much last year, but in 17 and 18, I have snaps noted where he lined up at one tech, lined up at three tech. They would move him all around to try to isolate him, get him matchups, work in twists and games, and use that athleticism not only on the edge, but inside as well. Didn't do it as much last year, but I'm interested to see how they'll use him in combination with the other players uh, down at Miami. 
So for me, I didn't go with transfers here. I actually went with a school that does not uh, do that does not play in the transfer game, and, and that's Clemson. Um, now, one of the big to me storylines in all of college football this year will be the wide receiver position for the Clemson Tigers. The guys catching passes from Trevor Lawrence. You lose T. Higgins to the NFL draft last year. You also lose this spring Justin Ross, who a lot of people viewed as one of the top talents in the upcoming NFL draft, 6'4", 205 pounds. He suffered what people thought was a stinger in the final spring practice before COVID-19. And then they find out that he ends up needing surgery on what was called a congenital fusion in his spine. And it was an issue that he's had since birth. So uh, obviously a, a scary situation, and they're not even sure what his fu- football future holds for him moving forward. But I'll tell you what, like if you, you, know, you take that aside, one of the most gifted receivers in this draft, I mean, you talk about his size, his movement skills, his ability, you know, even as a route runner, like he is a better route runner than T. Higgins. He is more consistent at the catch point than T. Higgins. His reaction quickness to adjust the balls away from his frame, really, really impressive. Just outstanding receiver process. One of the best receivers, honestly, that I've studied in the last couple of years, especially for a guy that big at 6'4", 205. So no T. Higgins, no Justin Ross. Who's going to step up? And I think you look at – obviously, you've got the senior Amari Rogers, who, if you guys don't remember, one of the better stories from last year in that he tore his ACL two springs ago, spring of 2019. He returned to play – Came back like four months or something. 166 Mm -hmm. days later to play in week two. like Just insane. So he went from a torn ACL in March to playing in the first week of September. Ended up catching uh, 30 passes and four touchdowns last year. As an honorable mention, all ACC. Now a year and change removed from that surgery. This is one of the best return men in college football. Really good slot weapon and that he can line up inside and outside. He kind of reminded me of Golden Tate because – of the strong hands and then also the yards after catch. So Marty Rogers, the guy certainly is going to be the, you know, a guy that's going to be a big time target for Trevor Lawrence. But then after that, you've got these two young guys and Ben, you've talked about them on the show before Joseph Ngata and Frank Ladson. Both guys were fresh, true freshmen last year. Ngata is 6'3", 215. Ladson, 6'3", a little bit skinnier at 195. I really liked Ngata, man. I mean, he's got the, both guys have size and speed that really, really impress you. I think Latson might be a little bit more impressed or more, a little bit more explosive, but Ngata had some really good flashes as a route runner. He could track the ball over his shoulder. I'd like to see Latson get a little bit stronger and just, you know, show that ability to be able to finish at the catch point a little bit better. I thought his route running was a little bit sloppier. He drifted a little bit more than Ngata. Ngata's got ability. Like, I think he could be, uh, you know, it's all said down the road, uh, you know, one of the top receivers drafted, whatever draft that he decides to come out in. But you've got those two youngsters. And then also don't sleep on a senior that I had gotten some buzz that this kid had kind of showed up this spring as well. Cornell Powell, six foot, 210 pounds, uh, really showed, made some strides this spring uh, for the Clemson Tigers before the spring was cut short by COVID-19, had been a backup uh, over the last couple of years. So keep an eye out for Cornell Powell as well with both uh, Justin Ross and T. Higgins out of the picture. See, Fran, I love Amari Rogers. Why? Because in pregame warmups, I can find him because he's the only one that doesn't seem like he's 6'4", 6'5", with (laughs) arms down to his knees there. You know, he's a little bit more of that short kind of running back body stature in that slot there. I swear they're pumping these kids out with like a clone army or the iRobot where you see them all in like a garage because Ladson, Nada, whether it's Justin Ross, T. Higgins, when these guys are warming up pregame in their wide receiver U t-shirts, they all look like clones. They're all long, tall, fast, loose. It's really fun to watch them in pregame warmups because they're like four, five, six deep at that receiver position. 
No question. And Clemson, obviously infamous for being able to put out defensive linemen over the last few years as well. And Dane, uh, I know to wrap things up here, we're going to talk about our future studs. And you want to go to the defensive line with Clemson. By the way, we haven't even talked about Xavier Thomas, the defensive end, who was a five-star recruit uh, coming from Clemson as well. But you've got one of his teammates you want to hit on. They started to play Xavier Thomas inside last year. Put that guy on the edge. I don't know what they're doing with those odd fronts. Well, and just not, not not to get off point, but it's just interesting <laughs> that, you know, we uh, we have talked about Clemson, but how refreshing it is to talk about all the other teams in the ACC. It's This year, it's not just the Clemson uh, carrying the banner for prospects uh, in the ACC. We're seeing Syracuse being mentioned and North Carolina. And so it, it's really good to see that with some uh, top 100 players. But, yeah, I wanted to – Hitting on a guy that we're going to be talking about here in a few years, uh, Brian Bruzzi from uh, he's a he's a true freshman coming in, just enrolled, wow. the, the number one recruit in the nation uh, according to a lot of services. Six uh, five, two ninety. He looks like uh, like a beefed up Bosa. Like he just he understands how to win with his hands, and yeah, it's the little I've seen of him. You know, I, I usually I'm not big in the high school recruiting, but I try to watch some of the the bigger name guys just to see where they're headed and. You know, could we see them make an impact? And he was one of the guys I watched. And, wow, I mean, he's just beating up on these high school guys. It's mm. There's going to be a step up for him, obviously, at, at the FBS level playing the ACC. But I think we're going to see him on the field right away, and he's going to make an impact. So, uh, Bruzzy is definitely a name. Uh, won't, he, we won't be talking about him as a prospect for another, uh, you know, two years or so, but he's definitely a name to file away. You know, Fran, really quick, I just want to say, sometimes I like to do a snapshot of the conferences and to say what's weak or what's strong or deep right. at certain positions. We might have a dangerous storm here because this ACC is loaded at edge rusher. Veterans, seniors, there's young guys coming up that are going to have some flashes in the fourth quarters. And I'm a little concerned. I don't see a whole lot of offensive line prospects in this conference this year with guys like Mekhi Becton on his way out. Obviously, Boston College has a couple trench players. Virginia Tech has a nice left tackle out there. But these edge rushers might have a huge year feasting on some of these young tackles, particularly like schools like Clemson, which I think their only returning starter is Jackson Carmen at left tackle. A lot of young guys in there, and there's a lot of other schools in that same position. So we could be looking at four, five, six guys maybe with double-digit sacks in this ACC. We a lot of uh, lookout blocks for uh, ACC offensive linemen, for sure, as they're turning around as the quarterbacks are getting pummeled. Um, Dane, you brought up a kid that uh, you know potentially could make a big impact as a true freshman this year. I want to talk about a kid who made an impact as a true freshman last year for that Clemson defensive line and Tyler Davis. At 6'2", 295, this kid comes in as a 17-year-old and wins and makes it second team all ACC, 50, 51 tackles, five and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss. I talked with kids at the, uh, at, the, at the Senior Bowl in Tremaine Ankerum and John Simpson, two of the senior offensive linemen. And I said, like, who, who impressed you uh, on defense last year? To a man, both guys, Tyler Davis, Tyler Davis. You know, they both said, like, this guy came in, he acted like a senior, just, you know, had an upperclassman mentality as a, as a true freshman. The moment he stepped on campus, uh, you know, the, the really, really strong, hard, hard worker, just couldn't say enough good things about him. And then you turn on the film, this kid is quick, he's rangy, burst to close on the football from the backside, really strong on contact. He's got the power to change the line of the scrimmage as well. Um, you know, natural pad level, always playing with good, good leverage, strong, violent hands. He could take a double team on, high, high motor. This kid was really, really fun to watch. He lined up a number of different techniques along the defensive line. He did a number of different things for that team. Look, they're not going to be – he's not eligible for this coming year, 
But down the road, we're going to be talking about Tyler Davis as a, a guy, certainly, that, you know, towards the, towards the top of the defensive tackle group, whether that's uh, 2022 or 2023. He's a really, really fun player to watch, Ben. Ben, I know you had a, a, a guy that you wanted to hit on as well. Um, you know, this time, not, not from Clemson, uh, one game that actually you saw you were at this game, Clemson's defensive line was uh, having some trouble figuring out how to get to Sam Howell from North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, that Clemson game for North Carolina, they nearly pulled that thing out. They were a two-point conversion away from knocking off number one team in the country, Clemson. But we'd be remiss not to mention some quarterback from last year, and this was really the year of the true freshman quarterback. You had Jaden Daniels, Arizona State, Keaton step in at USC, Bo Nix at Auburn, knocking off Oregon early, Hank Bachmeyer at Boise, and Ryan Holinsky, South Carolina. We had true freshmen stepping in all over the place. But this was Sam Howell's year at North Carolina, true freshman, and this guy threw the ball all over the yard last year. 28 touchdowns off play action, first in the country. 21 touchdowns downfield, that's 20 plus or more second in the country, had 2,000-yard receivers, each with 10 touchdowns in Deami Brown and Daz Newsom. This guy was not afraid to let it loose deep, mostly off play action, but I went back and watched that Clemson game this morning that I was at last year. This guy made some big plays late in the game, hanging in the pocket, blitzers breathing down his neck, standing tall, delivering the ball, moving the chains on third down. For a true freshman like that to come in and battle some of the defensive players on Clemson and hang in right to the very end, nearly knocking them off, man, I was blown away. And all these freshmen that took the field last year or Slovis or Daniels, I'm so excited for the next year. They get the cobwebs out, kick out the nerves. They already did a lot of good things. Now let's emerge into that leader. Let's clean up the mistakes and let's see what you are as a prospect. And there's a good, you know, eight to 10 true sophomores commanding their teams this year that I'm really excited to see how they develop. Guys, we covered a lot of players in this conference and we are going to cover a lot of players next week because we're doing the big 10. Ben, Dane, thanks again. This has been fun. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Awesome stuff, as always, from both uh, Ben and Dane. You can follow both those guys uh, on Twitter. Ben is at Ben Fennel underscore NFL, and Dane is at DP Brugler. Now, uh, we're going to wrap this up with Draft Mailbag. Look, we don't have any comments in the queue for the first time in, like, forever. No comments in the queue. No one I can give a shout-out. So, look, we're getting ready. We're gearing up for the start of, hopefully, for college football season, right, as we've been talking about throughout the course of the show. The best way to throw us your support, if you listen to the show every single week, I love everybody that went on and filled our survey out last year, and that really helped shape what our ideas are here for this fall and some of the things that we're going to be changing and doing here this fall. I can't wait uh, to unveil some of that stuff for you guys. But the best way to go on and just get, you know throw us your support Throw us a, a quick little five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. If you leave a comment as well, uh, you know it could be a question. It could just be you know someone you like, a player, any kind of question at all about the game, player evaluation. Leave it on there. We will answer it here on the show. All that being said, let's go. Another one of the books here for the, uh, the the start of 2020. Next week, we're breaking down the Big Ten. That's going to be a very interesting episode. A lot of big news coming out already this week. Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons, Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman. More players, it seems, uh, really on the horizon already declared for the 2021 draft and opting out of 2020. But we will break down all of those Big Ten players next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.